Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 11? We'll read verses 11 to 16. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 to 16. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see our hatred for other groups different from us. And we pray that you will give us humility to accept the teaching of this passage of your word inspired by you through the pen of the Apostle Paul. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text begins with, I say then they. So to whom does they refer? I say then they. Well, whoever it is, they stumbled. Because he goes on to explain the nature of their stumbling. He says, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall. And so who is they? Well, they are the Jews. And so what he's dealing with here is he's dealing with the, and we've said this over and over again, and you get tired of hearing it, but the fact is the Apostle Paul writes about it over and over again. The reason he writes about it over and over again is that the Holy Spirit inspires him to write about it over and over again. And the reason the Holy Spirit inspires him to write it over and over again is likely because he knew that it was a hard sell. He knew that this was very difficult to get the Christians in Rome on board with God's kindness. Now, you say, well, what do you mean is kindness? Nobody objects to God's kindness. Well, we do object to God's kindness if it's to our enemies. (laughs) We don't want God to be kind to our enemies, right? Don't, Don't give me this solemn silence. You don't want God to be kind to your enemies. It's a basic fact of our human nature. And so he is speaking about the Jews. And so let's look at what he's saying. I say then they. Now, why do we call them the Jews? Well, if you look at Wikipedia, Wikipedia says you shouldn't refer to the Jews as Jews. Now, why does Wikipedia say you shouldn't call Jews Jews? Well, because it could be misinterpreted as being a demeaning term. You know, did he Jew you down? Well, that's not actually real kind of, you know, it's kind of demeaning, you know? But the Jews are God's people. Well, that's, that's stature. The people of God are the Jews. So which is it? So what Wikipedia says to you is be very careful. <laughs> because if you use the word Jews to refer to a people group who are the Jews, okay, It may be that people will interpret you as being anti-Semitic. And in our post-Holocaust world, none of us want to be anti-Semitic, right? That would be worse than to be racist against blacks. You know, in the hierarchy of needs, you know, I think I most need to not be anti-Semitic. I think I'd put that above not being racist. Okay, now listen. Where does the word Jews come from? For that matter, where does the word Hebrews come from? For that matter, where does the word Israel come from? For that matter, where are children of Israel? 
or Israelites. So I want to give you a short thumbnail sketch of these terms that we can use to refer to the same people. The word Jews comes from the name of the province or the tribe, the area of land that the tribe of Judah lived in. And that area of land included the, 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 the crown jewels of the Jews, which were all where? Jerusalem. And so Judah or Judea or Judea or Jews, Jews, Judah, Judea, they're all the same origin, and they have their origin in the name of the fourth son of Jacob. Okay? The fourth son of Jacob, of his 12 sons, is Judah. He was assigned a portion of the land of Canaan, the promised land. That land is called Judah, or the Greeks, I mean the Romans, named it Judea. All right. And it has Jerusalem. And so when the division of the Jews is into northern and southern kingdoms, the southern kingdom is referred to as Judea. Okay, so that's where Jews comes from. It really is a statement both about the identity of the fourth son of Jacob, but also about a territory. So the word Jews really has more of a geographical flavor. Now, where did Hebrews come from? Do you remember that when the Israelites, the children of Israel went down into Egypt, do you remember what they were called? They were called Hebrews. Now, why were they called Hebrews? And was it a compliment? Well, there are two versions of where the word Hebrews came from. One version says that it comes from the name of the uh, great, great, let me see here, great, great grandson of Noah, and his name was Eber. He was an ancestor of Abraham. So he's the great, great grandson of Noah. He's an ancestor of Abraham. His name was Eber. And so there is an argument that's made by many that says that the word Hebrews comes from Ebru, or Ebram. And there is a stronger tradition, though, of uh, people who are very smart and have degrees. So you know how often in debates you've got the common people who say that the word woman is actually adding on a front frontal piece to the name man, and then all the scholars say, oh no, you don't understand philology and etymology and you know, all this stuff. Well, the smarty pants say that the word Hebrew comes from a reference in, in that part of the world to, now you're ready for this, that essentially it's the equivalent of our word what? Well, it's not a word that you want to say from a pulpit on Sunday morning. Okay, so I'll hold off on that, but you be thinking. So this word, Hebrews, they say comes from a word that designated people who came over, and typically who came over the river. Over the river? Hold on. Okay. And they were other because they came over. They might, have come, they might have come over the Jordan River. They might have come over, you know, the river wasn't placed. But the origin of the word refers to people who essentially, um, these are people, and I keep forgetting this word, and it's a very simple word, but uh, migrant. Okay? They were migrants. They had migrated over from. And that's where the word Hebrews. So when the Egyptians referred to the children of Israel as Hebrews, do you remember what they said about them? They said, send them away from us. They can be here in Egypt. We'll support them. But send them away from us because why? You remember, because they couldn't stand pastoral people. They could not stand people that cared for animals. They were an abomination to them. And so, yes, they were willing to be their host country, but they wanted them off. Remember that. Read Exodus. Now, what's the word we have? Well, the word is wetback. 
Where do you get the word wet back? Well, you get it from coming over the river. Your back is wet because you crossed the river. Now, I want you to understand that the word Hebrews, most people agree, is not a compliment. It's essentially saying other, you know? These people are migrants, and migrant is not a compliment in our culture. So we have the word Jews, we have the word Hebrews, then we have the word Israelites, sons of Israel, being Israel, or we have the word what? Israelis. That's how we tend to say it in the plural today, Israelis. Now, where does that word come from? Well, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So the fourth son of Jacob is Judah. That's where Judea comes from. And that territory is where Jews comes from. But actually, Jacob was renamed after he wrestled with God. God gave him the name what? God gave him the name Israel, which means strive with God. So the Israelites are those who descend from the 12 sons of Israel, who used to be called Jacob. So the children of Israel, the sons of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people group that are generically or specifically referred to as Israelis, all right, that comes from the name of the grandson of Abraham, who was renamed by God Israel, and the 12 tribes of Israel are from his 12 sons. All right, now, when the nation state of Israel was founded, there was a vote on what to call it. And in the running was Judah, and in the running was Zion. And Israel won by six to two votes. And afterwards, they said that they would call their people Israelis. And that's where we get Israelis from, all right? When the Apostle Paul writes, saying, I say then, they did not stumble, so as to fall did they, he is referring to these people, sometimes called Jews, sometimes called Israelis, sometimes called Hebrews, all right? It's the same group with a different emphasis to each name. Now, when he says that they did not stumble so as to fall, he is taking for granted the fact that they stumbled. And we've been dealing with this paragraph after paragraph in this letter to the church in Rome. They stumbled. Now, what was their stumbling? Their stumbling was that they would not accept. Now, I could say Jesus. I could say they would not accept their Messiah. And that would be true. But what was the essence of why they wouldn't accept their Messiah? The essence of it was they would not accept the righteousness that comes by faith. They were determined that they were going to enter the kingdom of God through their own righteousness. And they would say, if I said that, they'd say, no, 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 it's not our righteousness. It's what God revealed and and gave to us as his law. He calls us to obey it, and we've worked hard to obey it. And then Jesus comes along with a sermon on the mountain. He says, so how are you doing with that? Are you with me? They refuse to allow the law of God to live in their hearts. They wanted their righteousness to be a function of observing the holy days of not breaking the Sabbath, of circumcising or baptizing their children. Of They had all these acts of righteousness that they felt should impress God, or if not impress him, at least get him to accept their goodwill towards him. You know, whatever you want to say about it. They would not accept the righteousness that comes by faith. And you say, well, What righteousness is that? I say the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're determined to make much of your standards and your convictions and your beliefs and your gifts and your understanding and stuff, 
why would you need Jesus' righteousness? The Jews didn't need it. They said, we don't need you. We have Abraham for our father. Jesus said, no, 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 your father's the devil. And they frothed at the mouth, (laughs) you know. Why did he say your father's the devil? Well, because they did not do the works of Moses and Abraham. They did not have resemblance to their character. You with me? Jesus kept looking inside. He said, you know, you guys keep giving me all these big shows of whitewashed sepulchers and the outside of the cup clean, but I've looked inside your cup and it's actually filthy. You get mad when I heal a guy on the Sabbath. Seriously? Oh, and they were furious. And they decided to kill him because he healed people on the Sabbath. Now think about this, right? And as you think about it, ask yourself the question whether you recognize yourself in this. (laughs) Not me, you. Do you recognize yourself in the ones that killed their Messiah because he healed on the Sabbath? And so what happened in the church at this time is, if you can believe it, I'm being facetious, tongue tongue in the cheek. If you can believe it, the church was fighting amongst itself and the church was divided. Go figure. The church divided, you know. What was the division? Well, the division was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Go figure, (laughs) you know. Seriously, a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Really, you know. Did the Jews like the Gentiles? Oh, 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 oh. They couldn't stand them. You remember how hard Peter had to get hit on the head to go to Cornelius' house? (laughs) You know? A sheet filled with filthy food had to come down from heaven, and God had to tell him, don't you call unclean what I have made clean. The veil of the temple had to be ripped in two. You know? They had to see Paul, who was going around persecuting the Jews, show up, a Christian. And then they had to punish him for being the apostle to the Gentiles his entire ministry, <laughs> you know. <laughs> a poor dude. No wonder he magnifies his ministry. <laughs> I mean, oh. Of course he magnifies his ministry because everybody else despises it. whistling in the dark. And so what was going on in the church in Rome is that the Jews looked around and they said, you know what? There ain't no Jews here. Ain't that ironic? It's a Jew that we worship and there ain't no Jews here. You know? Where are the Jews? And the Apostle Paul says, they have not stumbled so as to fall, have they? And that's what the Christians who were Gentiles were saying. They were so thankful that finally they had demonstrated what jerks the Jews were. And they didn't deserve God's mercy, and now we see it. They're so proud... Oh, yeah, they're so, oh, they're breeding and their birthright and their, God, their fathers have the promises and they have the law and they have the book and they're monotheists and they stand against the pantheon of gods of the Roman Empire. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where are they? And don't you think those Jews were not tickled pink to have or those Gentiles, to not have any Jews there. And don't you think those Jews despise the Gentiles? I mean, what is it that makes a man go around tormenting and persecuting and killing Christians? The Apostle Paul, why? Was it because he had such such a high view of Christians? No, back then, the Christians were the Jews, And every single one of them had betrayed his nation. 
you know that still today, for a Jew to become a Christian is to betray his nation. You don't have the right of return if you become a Christian to Israel. You don't have that right. You have denied the essence of Judaism. That's their judgment. And so here you have the church in Rome, and it's almost entirely dirty, uncircumcised Gentiles. And the Gentiles have had to live with the superiority complex of the Jews forever. And it's such a relief to not have them there. And so they're all sitting there thinking they have stumbled so as to fall. And the Apostle Paul's a good writer. He knows what they're thinking. And so he anticipates it and asks it as a question. And he asks the question so as to immediately say, may it never be. He's talking to the Gentiles in the church in Rome who are thinking they've stumbled so as to fall. And you say, well, what's the fall? The fall is permanent. A stumble is temporary. You can recover yourself from a stumble. But when you fall, it's all over. You haven't saved your pride. You're down on the ground. It's clear. You're done. Right? Right? (laughs) I have these images that go through my mind as I preach. (laughs) Oh, my. None of us want to fall. You all know that. And so... The Gentiles are catcalling the Jews. You stumbled. You're going to fall. And what they mean is, it is permanent. God is done with you, and we are the Jews. Now, of course, they didn't say we're the Jews. What they said is, we are now God's people. Okay, y'all with me? Now, imagine if in America today, we had a group of, uh, I don't know how intense to make it. I'm not sure whether to make it Hispanic or Asian or black. But let's let's say, imagine we had a bunch of uh, white liberals from New England. Okay, They, they had spent their life defending abortion rights and getting getting their women into the Supreme Court who ruled that the law of the land was homosexual marriage and they had degrees from Harvard and Yale and they, you know, liberals. And all the Trump conservatives of the country and conservative Christians hated their guts. They were goyim. They were dirty, filthy Gentiles. Romans 1, which is, of course, written to the Gentiles. They were not Romans 2, because that was, that was the Midwesterners that wanted all of the seaboards to be cut off. Cut them off, cut them off, right? And all of a sudden, God sends his son to the Midwest, and the Midwest kills him. Because the Midwest sees that he's not actually... Uh, a belligerator. And he actually is not publishing books on, you know, sphere sovereignty and interposition. And he's not getting arrested at abortuaries. And he's paying his taxes and he's making a joke out of it. You know, April 15th comes and he gets one of his disciples to go down and fish in the pond and says that when, the, when he catches the fish, open the mouth and there's a check to the IRS inside. <laughs> and the white, sweet, kind, gentle Midwesterners froth at the mouth because they just got out from under masks And they're angry. And all of a sudden, he flies to Boston. And he preaches on Boston Common. And the people that get saved and bow their knees before the righteousness of God are all the liberals 
Hundreds of them look like men, but they're actually women. Many of them have killed two or three or four of their own children in abortuaries. They're filthy. Jesus tells them that he will give them rest if they come to him. And damn it, we don't want them to have rest. We want them to pay. That's who you are. You don't want a wideness in God's mercy. You don't want that. You want them to pay. I have been out since this morning. I have worked through the heat of the day. And you're going to tell me that there is a wideness to God's mercy that gives that that low life who didn't show up even to work until the mid-afternoon. He's going to get the same... He says, listen, if I want to be generous, what is that to you? And we don't want God to be generous. We don't want him to be generous. We don't want there to be a wideness of God's mercy, and we don't want him to be kind. Because after all, we showed up before the heat of the day and worked through the heat of the day. We were there under the oppression of the public health department. We suffered under social distancing. Our children were bust because of Brown versus Board of Education. We spent countless hours and days out in front of the abortuary crying out to these very people to not to slaughter their children, and they went right ahead and did it. They put their children in the mouths of Moloch and burned them. And you're going to tell me that that's the wideness of God's mercy? No, 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 no. Okay, okay, go ahead, kill him. He's your Messiah, kill him. Okay, we will. We will kill him, okay? You all with me? Okay, now kill his followers. Any Jew that dares to worship him, kill him. Kill him, you know, kill him. Kill him. How do you think all the sermons in the book of Acts end up with the final statement saying, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And so they are absolutely opposed to the wideness of God's mercy. They are opposed to the kindness that leads to repentance. They will have none of it. They will belligerate. They will show how the Constitution is directly opposed to the rulings of the Supreme Court of the United States. They will vote for Trump because he's, he's, he leads them in belligerating. And the wickedness of forcing us to have homosexual and forcing our women to go in a bathroom where there's a man who's posing like a woman. And it just, and the, listen, if you read the history of Rome at the time of Christ, if you read the history, I'm not talking about the Bible now, I'm just talking about the historians at the time. Everybody says that the Jews were unbelievably fractious. And they were so awful in their divisiveness in the Roman Empire that Rome just let them do what they wanted to do, including monotheism, which struck at the vitals of what made the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome was built on polytheism. It was built on the pantheon of gods. It was built on telling every people group, you bring me your God, we're inclusive. We'll take your God and your God and your God. The Jews say, you will not. You won't touch our God. Our God made the heavens and the earth. Your gods are idols. And Rome says, okay, we'll, t- we'll let that happen too. 
It's mutually exclusive. (laughs) But Rome was big enough to even accept the Jews. Or Rome was hopeless about the Jews. (laughs) They knew it didn't make any sense to try to contain them. It wouldn't work. Okay? So they kill their Messiah. Then they kill the Jews that worship the Messiah. They persecute them. They put them in jail. Not just their men, but their women. This is the Jews. And then God raises him from the dead. And God brings the Gentiles in. The eastern seaboard elite, liberals, pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality, every wickedness that you could imagine, uncircumcised, filthy, goyim. And they fill the church. And they repent. The kindness of God leads them to repentance. Are you all with me? And can you imagine what a temptation it would be if you were one of those Gentiles. <laughs> You're looking at the Jews, and the Jews just killed their Messiah, and then they killed people that worshipped the Messiah, and they were determined to prove they were right. How do you feel as a Gentile looking at the Jews being proven wrong? I mean, they tormented the Gentiles. They despised the Gentiles. They were filthy. They weren't just filthy in being uncircumcised. They were filthy in their food that they ate, in their habits of wash. They were unkempt. They smelled. And the Gentiles, look at those snotty Jews who just always knew what was right and made a point of showing everybody that they were right. And now they're filling the church, and the Gentiles are, excuse me, and now the Gentiles are filling the church, and the Gentiles look at the Jews, and they're saying, nanny, nanny, poo, poo. They have stumbled so as to fall. The Apostle Paul says, they haven't stumbled so as to fall, have they? May it never be. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God has gotten rid of the Jews. We are the Jews now. We are God's people now. It's us. So how's it working out for you, huh? You used to look down on us. Now look at us. We're sitting in the catbird seat. This was what was going on in the church in Rome. It was all Gentiles. And they were saying that it was all over for the Jews. They had fallen. They had not just stumbled. They had fallen. And the Apostle Paul says, may it never be. But, so this is an opposition to, no, they haven't fallen, may it never be. But by their transgression, what was their transgression? It was rejecting the righteousness by faith of Jesus Christ. By that transgression, that sin, that failure, that wickedness, by that obstinacy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, the very thing that caused the Jews to reject Jesus and his righteousness has now caused the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God. All right? God has turned from the Jews, his people, to the Gentiles, not his people. All right? And then it has this little purpose statement at the end of the verse. It says, to make them jealous. (laughs) Now, I love this. Because, you know... When it comes to race in America today, we're all sure that we're on the side of the angels. You know, we're all certain that we're not racist. I'm not racist. You know, you're not racist. I mean, what's the point of us being a church together unless we all agree that each of us isn't racist? You know, I mean, we, the elders wouldn't accept anybody who was a racist, right? And furthermore... I don't feel insecure being white. I'm, I'm happy and proud to be white, but not with looking down on any Asians. Uh, well, no, okay, not any Hispanics. Uh, okay, blacks. I don't care what group you bring up. I am not insecure. 
I don't need to demean other people to feel substantial myself. You know, that's so petty. We, we don't do this. We, you know, the white man's imperial we. God brought the Gentiles into the kingdom of God for the purpose of making the Jews jealous. (laughs) Now imagine if you were in the church in Rome and you said, you don't do that. You know, imagine receiving this letter and looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, Apostle Paul, I'm not. That's what? I'm not. I don't feel, I mean, I know some homeschooling mothers who are jealous. You know, I I know some wives who are envious of my husband and my marriage. I try to do it for them in Instagram. You know, I take pictures of us at an anniversary dinner and I put it up on Instagram and I hope they envy me because I got the world's best husband. Listen, you are a jealous woman. In fact, the name of woman is jealous. And if you think I'm wrong about that, I think it's actually good. One of the chief assets of a mother is that she's jealous for her children. God made her that way. And so when the man's a lazy, no-good dog... Those children still have a mother. Do you see? Would you lower yourself and admit that you're filled with envy and jealousy? God was not building on mists and vapors when he built on the jealousy of the Jews. (laughs) You know, God didn't say, well, you know, I think I'll elicit from them a sentiment that's sinful that they don't have presently, but if the Gentiles come into the kingdom of God, all of a sudden they'll be jealous. No, God knew they were jealous. He knew that this was a sin that characterized us, and he built on it. Okay. And if you're still not willing to cop to having a basic orientation of being envious and jealous, okay, you think you're better than that, let me quote Gore Vidal to you. Okay? Every time one of my friends succeeds, a little part of me dies. I've been watching the NBA Finals. And I know everybody's sick and tired of the NBA. I'm not. This particular year, this particular matchup between the Suns and the Antlers, or whatever they call them, Bucks. Okay. I love it. And do you know why I love it? I love it for the same reason I used to love watching Victor Oladipo play for IU. There is a man on the court who is selfless and wonderful, and that's Giannis. And you say, oh, he's not wonderful. He did this and that. I say, you watch him. Giannis is selfless. He's so selfless that he's willing to make a complete and total jerk of himself by failing. I've never seen a guy more resilient about his failures without being cocky. But the other thing about Giannis is when they mock him, I've never seen a man mock so much in a basketball game as Giannis. Every time he gets to the free throw line. And they're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. You know, because he can't shoot free throws. He had what? Five out of 11 last night or four or I don't know what it was. And I mean, they counted last night. And this guy, if they take him out of the game, he stands at the sideline and he jumps up and down celebrating the victories of his teammates. And his assists, he's driving into the paint. 
And even if LeBron had been there, he would still have dunked on him. This guy's a monster. And at the last second, he throws it over to the corner. Perfect three. Nobody guarding the guy in the corner because he's driving into the paint. Now, you say, why are you bringing up basketball? I don't like basketball. I don't give a rip if you like basketball. I'm bringing it up because a player like that stands out in the NBA. (laughs) A selfless player who is not jealous of his other teammates' victories, who tries to give them to him, to them. The Jews had blown it big time, and the Gentiles were cackling because finally they were the ones that had the leg up with God, and they were sure that God was done with them. They had stumbled, and it was over for them. The Apostle Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. Look, the only reason you're in the kingdom is God's using you to make my people jealous. You just are serving as a good source of envy for the people that I'm not done with. No, no, no. We're your people now. We're Israel. Yes, you are. But you're an object lesson to awaken jealousy in my people. No, we're your people now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a fixed pie, actually. You know, your coming to me does not take away my mercy and grace potential. It's possible for the Jews to be saved and for you Gentiles to be saved without harming each other. There is a wideness in God's mercy. No. They're Christians, mind you. They're Christians. And they don't want it. And that is the entire context for this text. They're Christians, good Christians, and they don't want a wideness to God's mercy. They say the Jews are done. It's over and done with with the Jews. The Apostle Paul says no. Actually, their transgression has meant salvation coming to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, what riches for the world? He has forgiven you, and you are accepted. You are reconciled to the holy God. That's riches. If their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles... How much more will their fulfillment be? In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, if their rejection of the righteousness of Jesus, if their rejection of God's provision of a Messiah for them has caused you to be brought in, how much more will their fulfillment be? You say, well, what does he mean fulfillment? Well, the fulfillment has two aspects. Number one, it has a chronological aspect, but the other, it has a spiritual aspect, all right? Or I should say a numerical. So fulfillment is that there will be more, you know, pressed down and running over numerically. But fulfillment also is coming to a full acceptance of God's plan of salvation. That finally is fulfilled. You know, if you think about the Old Testament uh, Passover and the killing of the lamb and the blood, it points to the lamb of God who was on the cross, who bears the sins of the world. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, okay? When the Jews come to believe not just in the Passover lamb, but also in the lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world, they will be full. It will be the fulfillment, okay? And the Apostle Paul says, how much more will their fulfillment be? And he's referring back to the riches of the Gentiles. It will be riches to the Gentiles for the Jews to come in. But that's not how we think. It's certainly not how siblings think. 
If you're a brother and a sister and your older brother gets the attention of your mother, do you think that that's going to redound to your fulfillment? Do you think it'll be better for you if your mother pays attention to your sibling, to your sister, to your brother? How about your father? Are kids in homes happy to see other children receive the bounty from their parents? No, I'm sorry. And the stupid thing is that often in our homes, it's the most rebellious child who despises the kindness of their father or mother, who then gets the most attention from the father and mother. And it infuriates us. (laughs) You know, does anybody remember the prodigal son's older brother? How did he respond to the happy party and the meat? He didn't want to have any part of it because that was to his loss. You remember that. And that's how these Gentiles are feeling in the church in Rome. Apostle Paul says, no, it's not a fixed pie. The Jews' fulfillment will actually redound to you having more joy, more peace, more riches, more blessings. And we just have such trouble understanding that. It's like anybody that gets ahead, like, you know, uh, what's his face? It's like anybody that gets ahead, no, 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 that's me getting left behind. And then he says, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. He doesn't say, but I am speaking to the Gentiles among you. It's clear the church is overwhelmingly Gentile. All right? By what he says, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. It makes no sense for him to say anything he's saying in this text if the Gentiles are praying and witnessing to and loving the Jews. Why would he magnify his ministry to the, to the Gentiles if it was not animosity between Gentiles and Jews. All the Jews despised him. Either Christian Jews despised him because he was going to the dirty Gentiles. And so he's saying here, I'm not embarrassed to be the apostle that's been called to preach to the Gentiles. In fact, he says, I magnify my ministry. And there's something just a little bit, you know, me thinks the man doth protest too much. And then he says, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. (laughs) And I get such a kick out of this. What is he saying? Well, he's saying to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry to you dirty people because I'm hoping by preaching to you dirty people and having you come to the Lord Jesus that my people, the Jews, might get jealous and come and I might be able to save some of my countrymen. Now think, you're, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That kind of feels disloyal, you know? Oh, that's all I'm good for, Paul? That's, that's it? You just are using me, dangling me in front of your own, oh, precious countrymen, <laughs> you know? I mean, come on! I thought it was in Christ there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. I thought the Apostle Peter was condemned by you from switching. And now all I'm good for is to make the Jews jealous so your countrymen can come into the kingdom. <laughs> that just really makes me feel affirmed. And the Apostle Paul is very good in anticipating what we're thinking. Of course we're demeaned at this point as Gentiles. So he immediately says, for... Okay, I know what you're thinking. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, if the Jews' rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? It's not a fixed pie. There's enough of God's mercy for all of us. We don't need to be spitting on each other. 
It takes not the slightest bit away from the glory of God for an eastern seaboard intellectual elite who's on the board of the ACLU to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's glorious. How many of us remember Bernard Nathanson? Bernard Nathanson was the man who, with a few of his friends, changed the law and got Roe v. Wade passed by the Supreme Court. And he was a Jew, and he was an atheist. And NARAL was his work, National Abortion Rights Action Week. And Bernard Nathanson ran the largest abortuary in the world in New York City. Any of you remember this? He was, he was the person that Midwest white bread Protestants lived to hate. He was everything that was most evil about the United States of America. And he got the Supreme Court to change its laws and to declare a right to privacy, which ended up being the right of abortion, in Roe v. Wade, a horrible legal judgment, legal opinion. And do you know, I can still remember reading about this, shortly after this, what happened? Oh my goodness. A letter to the editor was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. The New England Journal of Medicine. It was like he was repenting in the temple in Jerusalem. (laughs) You know? The top medical journal. And in that letter, he said, my conscience has become increasingly uncomfortable with my work. And I have now come to believe that I have presided over the death of 70,000 little children. And I mean, nobody could believe it. (laughs) You just couldn't believe it. And he didn't reject his atheism, and he did not reject his Jewishness. And he wrote a book, which if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's called Aborting American. And in that book, he said a number of things. He said, you know, when we were pushing to make abortion legal, he said, we used to go around telling a lie. And the lie was that every year 10,000 women died from illegal abortions from coat hangers in back alleys. And he said, we knew it was a lie, but we were so certain of the righteousness of our cause that we felt that the lie was necessary. Do you like him yet? You don't like him, do you? You don't like him. Do you know that that man was loved by pro-lifers? I'm not talking about being used. I'm saying he was loved. And do you know that that man came to confess Christian faith? Bernard Nathanson. You won't be surprised to know it was Roman Catholicism. But honestly, brothers and sisters, I, I speak as, as clearly as I can about the heresies of Roman Catholicism. But I have no, no doubt that that man will be in the kingdom of heaven. There is a wideness in God's mercy that is absolutely unpredictable. He does not observe our petty jealousies and envies. He uses them. And right now, you are a lesson to Jews, and that's why they hate you. Make no mistake about it, the Jews are absolutely eating themselves alive in jealousy and envy today. (laughs) Sorry. And I'm not saying that because I'm anti-Semitic. I'm saying that because I read it in the book of Romans. This is God's plan. But trust me, God will accomplish what he has set out to do through that jealousy and envy. And it will not take the slightest amount of blessings and riches from you or your children or your grandchildren. 
<laughs> now, I want to close by, by giving you a couple of... Uh, <laughs> this is kind of weird. But I actually think that this should cause us to love the Jews. Even though we, we see their envy and their jealousy, I think we should love the Jews and pray for their salvation. Okay? Does this make sense? Because this is God's plan. All right? And so I have a couple of uh, suggestions about how you love Jews. And the first one is, I would suggest that you get in the car uh, and drive up to the south, right, right by Lucas Stadium. And there's a great delicatessen there called Schmertles or Schnotskis or... What's it called? Oh, Shapiro's. Okay, Shapiro's. Now, I have to tell you, it's Jewish. And the way you'll know Jewish is they don't even come to your table to serve you, and you will pay probably $11 for their Reuben sandwich. So you know it's Jewish. I've actually complained to them about how expensive their sandwich is. You know? I, I found the manager. I didn't complain to the cashier. Okay, get a Reuben sandwich. And the reason they're 11 is there's about that much meat in between the bread. It's, the bread is, is not significant. The meat is, okay? And it's unbelievable. It's not a bunch of gristle. You know how when your mother makes corned beef, it's all gristle. No gristle there. But here's a little secret. If you really want to be Jewish about this, this, this pilgrimage, okay, at the end of the line, it used to be out where you could see it, but it's not there anymore. And so you have to ask the cashier, and she'll pull it out from hiding. They have these little plastic cups of horseradish. You gotta have horseradish with your Reuben sandwich. And if you eat that Reuben sandwich with the horseradish and the dill pickle, you will have more affection for Jews. Listen, I'm not, I'm not making a joke. I know it's funny, but I'm very serious about the fact that the way we love other cultures is to eat their food. Okay? I mean, all of you eat French fries. That's a joke. <laughs> I don't love the French. I, I'll just admit it. <laughs> okay, so the second thing is learn to tell and laugh at jokes. Jokes are at the heart of being a Jew. That's why Bob is able to exist. Seriously. He jokes, he makes fun of you, and it is the grace that is almost central to his house. And so learn humor, learn to use it, and learn to laugh of it. Don't be so uptight and proud and, and stingy with your laughter. Laugh. Laugh is the way we mediate the tension between what we know God made us to be and what we actually are. All right? And so if you don't laugh, you're pathetic. <laughs> because you don't see how awful you are. <laughs> you know, you should be able to laugh at how awful you are. Oh my goodness, children growing up in a home with me that don't have humor? Can you imagine the horror? <laughs> and so I'm going to tell you a joke. Okay, here's the joke. How many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. I'll just sit here in the dark. You guys are awful. That's a Jewish mother. And in Hawaii, the most polyglot society on the face of the earth, every people group on those islands has jokes about all the other people groups. And all of them laugh at them. They have howly jokes about whites. You know, own jokes. They have all these jokes because they've learned to live together. And so all I'm asking you to do is learn to love Jewish food and learn to love Jewish humor. That's all. 
If you do that, you will begin to let your hair down and to love God's people, the Jews. God's people, the Jews. Okay? It's no loss to you to love God's people, the Jews. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will give us humility about who we are, about our envies, our jealousies, about how stingy we are with the gospel, about our resentments. Father, I pray that you will help the singles not to resent the married, the childless not to resent those with children, the young not to resent the old fogies, and the old fogies not to despise the youth. Help us, Lord, to pray for the salvation of the Jews, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.